Let's go to the book of Luke, if you would, please. The wonderful gospel of Luke, chapter 13. Parables with power. The parable of the fruitless fig. Now, it is possible today, especially in the liberal society that we live in, to juggle human laws. It is sad but true, many people are able to fool the human court system. But I remind all of us this morning that there is a divine judgment to come. It is universal in its scope and it is unchanging in its scale. And it is a sure thing. Supreme Court Justice Horace Gray once said to a man who escaped conviction on a technicality, I know that you are guilty, sir, and you know it. And I wish you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge than I. And there you will be dealt with according to justice and not just the law. And today we're going to study from the mouth of the most loving, the most merciful, the most compassionate, the most, com- the most patient one that ever lived, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are going to read perhaps the most profound and yet simple treatise on God's judgment that there's found anywhere. God's judgment, it may seem like a negative theme to some, but I so appreciate what Dorothy Sayers said, British crime novelist, friend of C.S. Lewis, listen to this incredible statement. If men will not understand the meaning of judgment, they will never come to understand the meaning of mercy. And so while justice and judgment is an ominous theme, the fact of God's mercy is so incredible. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for this amazing, powerful parable that you gave us, and may we get the message. May we have divine ears to hear and not human prejudice and bias. Lord, I pray that you will settle upon each of us a a seriousness at the same time, Lord, just a glory in knowing your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 13 here begins with Jesus talking about some current events. It really is the final part of a sermon, a very long sermon that he's been preaching. And he stops to let everybody know what justice is all about. And so let's go to verse 6, if you would, and we're going to read together through verse number 9. All right, ready, begin. He spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he, answering, said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig it about it, and dung it, and if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after thou shalt cut it down. Cut it down. He is talking about death, and that 
What precipitated this parable was the first five verses we'll read in just a moment. Psalm 90 verse 10 says, the days of our years are threescore and ten. That's an old English way of saying 70. By reason of strength, they might be 80 or so, but the strength is labor and sorrow, and it is soon cut off. That's that death, and Jesus said the same thing, cut that fig tree down. Every fig tree dies. We wonder about how life goes and how death comes, but the fact is a divine death sentence is woven into all of creation. Everything dies. Everything dies. We may die in the womb or die in early childhood or adulthood. It might be midlife or late life. The time may vary, but the truth does not. We all die. And in this parable, Jesus is actually addressing some current events. And sometimes people accuse a conservative preacher of uh, being too political. Well, I will say I'm not political, I'm truthical. And uh, we're dealing with truth, not politics. And I'll guarantee you, I wouldn't step down to be a politician for anything, but I am certainly going to preach how that the Bible affects our daily living. And that's what this is all about. Let's go to verse 1. Listen, there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. The background of that is that Pilate had uh, gone into the temple and he had uh, some sort of a slaughter took place and the blood of the lamb was mingled with the blood of the people and it was just uh, sacrilegious as well as that they would come right into the, their house of worship. I mean, it was terrible. They were great uproar going on. Verse 2, and Jesus answering said unto them, suppose ye that the Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? That'd be like me standing up here after a national tragedy like 9-11 or something and just standing up and saying, all these people who died in New York, do you suppose that they were just terrible sinners? Verse 3, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Then he brings up another current event, verse number 4, current at that time. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Apparently, there was this tragedy, a natural disaster. Somehow, this uh, big tower fell, maybe from an earthquake, maybe just from poor engineering, but it fell. And it almost seems that Jesus is cold and indifferent. He didn't get up there and talk about how all the sad people that died. He just simply got up and said, folks, calamities happen. Stuff happens. People die. Terrorism happens and tragedies happen. And he says it happens to bad people, yes, but it also happens to good people. He says the fact is death comes and we're going to be cut off. And sometimes people wonder why bad things happen to people, why bad things happen especially to good people. The real question here in these verses is really not why God lets death happen, because actually death is a penalty. It is a penalty issued by a just God. The real question is, why does God let anyone live? That's the real question, because the fact is, according to Scripture, we have all sinned 
And we deserve the judgment of God. That's the real question. And that's what Jesus was saying here. He's saying, you know, you think that because they got killed somehow they were bad people. I think that's still kind of the way we think sometimes, you know, that somehow they must have been bad because they had this situation. No, the fact is God is just simply saying stuff just happens to everybody. But the fact is we need to be sure that we are ready to meet God. And this is a an incredibly dramatic way to end the sermon. You're talking about mic drop. Jesus certainly dropped the mic here. Now let's go to verse number six and let's uh, explain this parable and let's find some principles this morning. He spake also this parable, a very straightforward parable, illustration. Remember now, a parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Everybody would connect with this story. Now, vineyards are very common in the Middle East. They're uh, semi-arid climate, uh, not a whole lot unlike where we live. Uh, vineyards were very popular and grew very well. They didn't take a lot of water, and they uh, provided uh, some delicious uh, fruit, but also uh, gave a, a great source of hydration that was um, not uh, subject to you know, bad water and so forth grapeseed oil and whatever the case, they really got a lot from the vineyards. It's still in Israel today. Uh, you can find these vineyards and they uh, grow them all over. Now, because they were protected, because they were pr cultivated, because they were fertilized, because they were uh, really paid attention to, they also became a good place to plant fruit trees. So you would, not uncommon, to plant a fruit tree in your vineyard. When you first read this story, you're like, what are they doing planting a fig tree in a vineyard? But that's exactly what happened here. That's what they did. You can even see that in Scripture several places, such as in Micah chapter 4 and verse 4. The Bible says, speaking about the millennium, that every man shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Now, fig trees were very important in Israel. Again, they grew well. They didn't take a lot of water. They were big. Uh, and they were a sign of God's blessing. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse number 8 says, a land of wheat and barley, speaking about Canaan land where they were going. Vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. We often say that Canaan was a land flowing with milk and honey, but it was also a land of vines and figs. And that was Canaan land. These uh, trees would grow to 25, 30 feet tall, sometimes as wide as 20, 25 feet wide. They were just huge trees. We happen to have a fig tree on our, where we live there. And, uh, it is definitely a flourishing tree. You just can't even hardly believe how much that thing just flourishes. They were tremendous trees for shade. They also were good if you wanted to take a break and just kind of meditate. You may remember Jesus talked about a fig tree. He saw Nathaniel under it. In John chapter 1, verse 48, he said, I remember I saw you under your fig tree. So fig trees, they were a very important part of the Agarian society that they lived in. They were uh, very much a part of their diet. They loved their fig trees for sure. And I love fig newtons, so I would be there. Verse number 6, and he spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Okay, so it's planted in his vineyard. And he came and he sought fruit thereon, and he found none. Now the owner of the property comes looking for some fruit, but he didn't find it. Now since fig trees did so well in that climate, and since they were in a vineyard, 
that it wasn't like it was stuck on top of a mountain someplace where all there were is a bunch of rocks. This was in a vineyard. I mean, this was a good soil, and they put a lot of effort into it, and it was watered, and uh, they, he just thought, man, there, you couldn't ask for a better uh, location to grow a fig tree. He comes, but there's no figs. So verse number seven, he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? Notice the word behold. That word indicates surprise. I mean, he's very surprised. I mean, now out here, we usually have a one crop per year or one harvest per year. We have the cherries behind us. We have walnuts, and they never have more than one uh, harvest a year. But in many places of the world, uh, some trees actually will have two, even three harvests a year. I know when we were in the Philippines, uh, the mangoes, those beautiful mangoes that they are from the Philippines, they often have two harvests a year, sometimes even three. That's very similar to this. So really, in three years, with let's just say two harvests a year, Six times this man has come looking for his harvest, and he has not found one single fig. I mean, not one fig. It's like, okay, I'm watering it. We're doing everything we can. You couldn't ask for better conditions. This fig tree is not giving us anything. So he decides to commit um, tree homicide. He said, kill that thing. I mean, uh, and every time I cut a branch off a tree, my wife weeps, you know, that poor branch. (laughs) Honey, it's not like their arm or something. I mean, it's just a branch. But, you know, for those of you that love fig trees, I just want you to know this was tree homicide. He was killing that tree. He said, that's it. We're killing it. It's gone. Now, verse number eight, and he, meaning the dresser of the uh, property, not the owner, the owner was the Lord. And notice what it says, verse 8, and he answered and said unto him, Lord. Now, in most cases, it it means master, but almost in every case in the New Testament where the word Lord is there, it's referring to God. So we're getting to get the picture now. Jesus is preaching to this congregation. He's there speaking about different topics. You can kind of read them before chapter 13. He comes to chapter 13, and he says now, He's going he's gonna to finish this sermon with a flourish. <laughs> he's going to begin, he's going to end with a treatise on the judgment of God. Loving, precious, beautiful, patient Jesus, loving, tender Jesus is going to talk about the judgment of God. And he just goes right straight forward. He said, folks, people die. People die all over. And it's a terrible thing. But the fact is, we shouldn't be so worried about the dying as our, uh, what we're going to do when we meet God. In verse number eight, this dresser of the vineyard says to the Lord, the owner, and I think we're getting the picture now, this is the one who owns the vineyard is God, let it alone this year, please, also, till I shall dig it about and dung it. Now, the phrase, in let alone this year. Actually, the word year is not in there in the Greek language, and it was uh, suggested by the translators there, but it actually reads something like, in coming time. And I think it's important because he wasn't saying, you know, in one year, if you don't repent, you're gone. Because the truth is, we don't exactly know how long, but there certainly is a time. God's judgment isn't arbitrary, but it's sure. Notice what he says. 
let it alone. And for why ever God lets us alone, that is, He doesn't uh, pour out His judgment, I don't know, but He says, I'm going to dig it around it and fertilize it. So He wants to loosen the soil, wants to aerate. About this time of the year, many people, especially golf courses, they start aerating. It allows the water to get down. And so this man was wanting to aerate. He said, let me put holes around this thing. Maybe it's not getting enough water. He said, let me plow up the ground around this fig tree. Again, a great illustration. The Old Testament prophets said, plow up your fallow ground, your hard pan. And I will tell you, sometimes God digs down deep into our life (laughs) with different things that get our attention. And then what he says is, I'm going to put manure on this fig tree. Now, this fig tree is certainly Israel, but this fig tree is also each individual. Now, I will tell you that I have had God plow up my life. Have you ever had God plow into your life? I'll tell you what, He just digs deep. Well, I tell you what, my soil's all settled. I feel like things are all going my way. And then God puts that big old plow of some circumstance in my life and plows it up. But I've also had God put manure on my life. I mean, it was so bad, all I could say is this stinks. (laughs) This stinks. Say, well, there's something good coming from it. Yeah, but for right now, it stinks. This is just a pile of manure. And that's exactly what he's saying here. He said, you know what? Uh, He's just going to put manure on it. He's going to dig up the ground. God is trying to get this fig tree up and going. I want to live the kind of a life where God doesn't have to dig deep on me and God doesn't have to put a lot of manure on me to get me to grow. Amen? I tell you what, I don't like that. God has a way of getting our attention for sure. Now, verse number nine. If it bear fruit, well, if it not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. It's an interesting phrase there. Actually, it's a very Jewish way of saying something. If it bear fruit, eh, well... Eh, it's good, eh. If it bear fruit, well, yeah, eh, good. If not, then after thou shalt cut it down. Now, Jesus ends this sermon with a, with a, with a rush saying, so he, he lays out these current events. He gets their attention. Everybody was talking about what Pilate did. Everybody was talking about that tower that fell. You know, just like we do when some catastrophe happens, we all talk about it. Jesus used that as a stepping stone, and then he tells a story about a fruit, a fig tree, a fruit tree, the fruitless fig tree. In all of this, he is reminding us of the judgment of God, the righteous judgment of God. There are at least three things I think we learn from this parable. Number one, God's judgment is irrefutable irrefutable. God's assessment of a nation, God's assessment of a person's life is absolutely accurate, correct, and precise, and exact, and factual, and 100% true. God is absolutely correct all the time about our life. God always carefully examines everything. God said about this fig tree, I have given every resource possible, and it's just one fig tree. It wasn't like it was a whole big old, uh, you know, bunch of fig trees. It wasn't like a hundred or a thousand fig trees, just one fig tree. It wasn't like he lost track of it. He was very careful with this fig tree. He had given it everything. Now, in the Old Testament, God calls Israel a fig tree. Jesus also talked about the fig tree that would uh, blossom. 
Romans chapter 9, verse 4, Israel is that fig nation. And they had been given so many blessings. This one fig tree had been watered and cultivated and made beautiful. Romans chapter 9 and verse 4. Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, the promises? I mean, no nation has been more blessed than Israel. Now remember, Jesus is talking to these Jewish people. He is saying, folks, you have been a blessed people. Scriptures come to you. The prophets came to you. The promises came to you. God's glory has been on your nation. Nobody has been any more blessed than each of you. And yet you have departed from the true and the living God. And what's worse, you have created this false religion. You have told people that they could go to heaven by just keeping the law. And that you have added so much to God's perfect word. He's saying, I'm going to tell you something. You are a fig tree, but you are a fruitless fig. God's judgment is irrefutable. God never makes mistakes. Abraham knew that. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse 25, he asks the rhetorical question, shall not the judge of the earth do right? And I will tell you, never a more accurate question ever has been asked. There is not even the remotest possibility that the God of the earth would ever do anything wrong. God is irrefutable in his judgment. It is said that during the time of world domination by the nation of Rome, the Roman Empire, there was an emperor, Julian, who professed Christianity in his early years. But his later years turned savagely against Christians and vowed to exterminate every one of them. One day, a Roman soldier was whipping a Christian and the uh, proud emperor looked and said, where is your carpenter of Nazareth now? And this victorious Christian replied to his king, who himself had been wounded in battle. He said, he is driving nails into your coffin, O emperor. We may think that we get away from God's judgment. We may think because we have power in this world that somehow we'll escape. But God's judgment is irrefutable. It's absolutely precise. It was just one fig tree. It wasn't like a great big group of them. He said, God is watching. It's not only irrefutable, but it is inevitable. Notice how long he had checked on this fig tree. Three years and counting. It's inevitable. God keeps on looking at my life. God will never overlook me. God will ever know, never overlook what I'm doing. The Bible says every one of us shall stand before God himself. I don't stand there with my wife or my husband. I don't stand there with my parents or with anybody else. I stand alone. Every man will give account of himself to the Lord. Look at back at verse 8 of chapter 13 there, Luke. It says, and he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year. Let it alone this year. There's a time stamp on the judgment of God. Now, it may not be this year. It may be next year, but uh, it's going to happen. The sand is running fast out of that hourglass. Sometimes people talk about living on borrowed time. Perhaps they had a terminal illness or a major heart attack or a cancer scare, and they should have or probably might still have died. And they say, I, I'm living on borrowed time. But do you realize that in actuality, all of us are living on borrowed time? 
Sometimes we talk about a person having terminal illness. Did you realize that we all have terminal illness? It's just really which terminal illness is going to get us. Because the fact is, every one of us die. There's not one person that you're going to talk to tomorrow that doesn't have terminal illness. Everybody does. Nobody lives on this life forever. And that's what Jesus is simply saying here. He is saying, look, you're going to meet God. You need to know that the wages of sin is death. John the Baptist had come to the nation of Israel. He was a preacher of righteousness. He laid his axe to the root of the tree, and boy, he didn't take any prisoners. Boy, I'll tell you one thing, he just went after it. There he was, preaching the gospel, preaching repentance. And yet this nation, who had all these prophets, this nation, who had had all these amazing things happen to them, this nation, who had been given the Word of God. Kind of sounds like America, doesn't it? Given the Word of God, been so highly blessed, had so many preachers. Kind of sounds like us, doesn't it? We live in America. Here we are. We have so many blessings. How is it possible for us to stand before God with all of these blessings and still reject Him? You may remember what happened on Palm Sunday. Actually, it was Palm Monday, if you read the Scripture. But let's go to Matthew chapter 21, verse 18. The Bible says the next day. Then in verse number 19, he's, he gets hungry. He returns to the city. And in Matthew 21, verse 19, it says, seeing a fig tree by the road. Now, he comes to this fig tree. Now, this actually story happened. This is not a parable. And sometimes people confuse the stories in the Gospels about fig trees. This is not the parable. This is an actual fig tree. He came to this fig tree, and uh, he found nothing on it but leaves. And he said, you know, if it has leaves, it should have fruit. And uh, his point was that it is, it is merely pretense to put all your leaves out there and to act like you're some big fig tree, but you don't have any fruit. And that's what John was saying. He was saying, where's your fruit? <laughs> you say you're a tree, but where's your fruit? Bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. Now, what John was saying to the nation of Israel and what Jesus was saying here in Matthew 21 and what he said in Luke 13, all of these are warnings to a nation. Your time is limited. Do you realize that God is about ready to bring his judgment? Are you, are you getting this? Are you sensing this? Or are you just going to carry on? Do you realize that just two days after Jesus told that story about the fig in Matthew 21, in just two days, Jesus pronounced a curse on the nation of Israel? He said that from this day forward, God's curse will be on this nation until you look upon the one that you have crucified. And that day is coming. But do you realize that God turned his back, in a sense, on Israel? Now, he loves Israel. He cares for Israel. They're his chosen people. But God now is, his eyes are on the Gentiles. This is the times of the Gentiles. And Jesus brought forth this judgment on this nation because this one nation, this one fig tree rejected God. So God said, okay, 
You can't just play footsies with God and think that God, everything's going to be all right. It's a fool's game to somehow think that we can, you know, come to God whenever we want. And sometimes I look to people and maybe we've given them a gospel, a tract or one of these invitations, or we talk with them shortly about the, uh, the Lord. And I, I was thinking about a man the other day I talked to, he was, I think, close to 80 years old, and we had a pretty good little, not a super long, but a pretty good little discussion. And he got a little offended because he pretty much figured he had everything figured out. He was 80 years old, and he kind of worked out his life. And I told him, if you don't get saved, I mean, that's, there's no hope. And that just shook him up. What do you mean, you know? I've done this and I've done that. But the fact is, folks, God doesn't, uh, he doesn't just, he doesn't just wash away or just think about all the stuff and say, oh, who cares about it all? No, God's judgment is irrefutable. It is, it is coming. It comes. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I know you think those people were bad. I know you think that that tower fell on them because they're not good people. The fact is, everybody is a sinner. Everybody needs to repent. Everybody's going to come before the judgment of God unless you get saved, unless you ask Jesus into your heart. And here he is saying it is a fool's game to imagine you can time your repentance and that somehow, you know, uh, give, me, give me one more year as a fig. Uh, give me one more year. Give me one more year. Jesus said, you don't have another year. You may, this may be the year you're cut down. And this whole point of this whole story is the owner is going to cut this fig tree down. I mean, it's not an if, it's going to happen. Unless this fig tree bears fruit, it's going down. That's what John the Baptist said to Israel. This nation is going down unless we repent. Jesus came and told the story about the fig tree. And when he cursed that fig tree in Matthew 21, the Bible says he cursed it. And it dried from the roots up in a matter of seconds. The disciples were looking at that. And that tree just went, it just like, it just folded up from the roots up. And that's what Jesus was saying to the nation of Israel. You are rotten from the roots up. There, this nation has rejected God for thousands of years. You have constantly rejected the Savior. The Bible says in John chapter 1, Jesus came into his own and his own received him not. He was a Jewish man. He was the Messiah. All they had to do was read the Bible and just compare this with that, and they would know Jesus absolutely fulfilled everything that the Messiah would be, and yet they're rejecting him. His point, he's saying, folks, you can't play like this with God. You can't just say, oh, okay, I'll just I'll time my things like I want to. I was reading an interesting I love the sciences. I was reading something interesting about time, measurement of time. The National Institute of Standards and Technology, they uh, found a way to measure time much more accurate. They created something in 1949 called the atomic clock, and it was reliable to within one second over three years. That's some amazing accuracy. Then uh, a few decades later, they upgraded and they found that by uh, measuring cesium atoms, they could uh, improve the accuracy. And now 
they said that they were able with this new atomic clock to be able to measure within one second over 300,000 years. And now they are working on a new model, and I have no idea what this means, but I'll read what it says. They have taken a single mercury ion, trapped it in a vacuum, they have bombarded it with laser beams and cooled it to its lowest possible energy level, and now the atom's oscillations are so stable that they have created a timepiece that will be accurate within one second over 10 billion years. And yet with all that technology, did you know that nobody can stop time? They may be able to measure time. They may be able to wonder what's going to happen here or there. But the one thing nobody's ever done is stop time. God's time marches on. God's judgment is irrefutable. His judgment is inevitable. And number three, His judgment is irreversible. Have you ever considered the most universal blessing that comes to God is His mercy? And yet His mercy is uh, on a timeline. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, and the Lord passed by him and proclaimed the Lord God, merciful and gracious. Here we find God, Moses, uh, proclaiming who God is, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Hallelujah. Look at that. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering. But look at the first part of verse 7. But by no means clears the guilty. God is gracious. Amen. God is merciful. Amen. God is amazing. Yes. But don't ever imagine that he's weak. Don't ever imagine that that means he's lax. God is uh, an angry God, we are told. In, Act, in Psalms chapter 7, verse 11, the Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. Now, when people think of God as an angry God, they think of it in human terms. Never think of God's anger in human terms. But God's not angry like we get angry. Our angry is because you know our rights have been violated or because we're irritated or you know something doesn't go our way or fit our fancy. You know, we just get angry. But God's never like that. His anger is never capricious. It's never just a little bit here, a little bit there. No, God's anger is because somebody has been hurt. As in when his own nation took their children. The Israelites would sacrifice them to Molech. God was angry with his people. God is angry at sin. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11, it says, and yet at the same time, God, though angry at sin, has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That means that though God has anger, he takes no pleasure at the death of his people. And I want you to listen to Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Or do thou despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance? Why is God so patient? Why is God so long suffering? Why does God give the fig tree year after year after year? Because it says God's goodness leads a person to repentance. He just wants a person to have time to repent. But if they don't repent, look at the next verse. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up to thyself, you've made yourself to receive the judgment of God against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. 
First Peter chapter 3 tells the story of Noah. Look at verse number 20, long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Here Noah was, he preached repentance, he preached that they needed to seek God, but they, they and, and eight did, for a, in 120 years he had eight converts, they were basically his family. Eight converts in 120 years. He preached God, righteousness. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He preached grace. He preached repentance. He preached Jesus Christ, a coming crucified Savior. And in 120 years, only eight people. God waited one year for that fig tree to bear. He waited two years and three years and four years. He waited five years. He waited 10 years. He waited 50 years. He waited 100 years. God waited 120 years. And finally, God said, that's it. This fig tree's gone. And he cut that fig tree down. Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 3 says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. That's it. I've reached my limit. Done. No more. We sometimes think that, well, whenever I want to come to God, I can. There's actually three times in your life where you can't come to God anymore. Did you know that? One is after your death. Sometimes people want to act like, well, you know, I'll, uh, you know, I'll have another chance. My friend, there is no second chance after death. I do not know how much time you have. As we read earlier, a man's years are 70, maybe 80, maybe a few more. But you know what? The fact is, everybody dies. All time is just borrowed. There is a second time when we can no longer seek God, and that is at the second coming. When Jesus comes, that's it. And the Bible says He comes in a twinkling of an eye. You say, well, all, when, when I see Jesus, when I see all the signs, that's when I'm going to get saved. The Bible says He comes in such an hour as you think not. To wait for the coming of Christ is a fool's game. To imagine that we're going to cheat God out and we're going to somehow trick God into letting us into heaven, that's a fool's game. God knows our heart. Friends, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's looking at these people and He's saying, I know you think those people were real bad that died there at the temple and Pilate killed them all. I know you think those people that died in the and the tower and the fell on them were bad, but he said, I want to tell you something, your tower is coming. Your day is coming. And that day is the death, or that day may be the second coming. But more frighteningly, it might be the unpardonable sin. You'd say, what is that, pastor? The fact is, we may not even have to our death. We may not even have to the second coming. It is possible that God will know God will no longer deal with you. There comes a point in our life when God says, leave him alone. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 17, speaking about Ephraim, which is the northern tribes, God issues a stark warning, Ephraim is joined to his idols, let him alone. He's joined permanently, and God knows the heart. God knows when a person has totally and completely and fully rejected God. So the fact is, it is possible to get to a point in this life where we no longer can find God because God won't be found. 
In chapter 5, verse 6, it says, they shall go to their flocks, to their herds, and they shall seek the Lord, but they won't find Him. And God is talking about Israel, but He's also reminding us this is the same thing for individuals. Isaiah 55, verse 6, seek the Lord while He may be found. The implication is clear. There's a time when He won't be found. He won't let you find Him. He won't let me seek Him. The Holy Spirit, we say, well, I'll come to God. (laughs) Nobody's ever sought God. Romans chapter 3 said, nobody seeks God. If the Holy Spirit didn't prompt me, I would never seek God. People say, well, I'll come to God when I want. No, you won't. No, you won't. God draws every man that comes into this world, and He's given a chance. He's, given a, he's giving a drawing. There in Isaiah 55, verse 7, it says, let the weak, wicked forsake his way, and you'll, you'll find God. Psalm 32 and verse 6 says, for this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee a time when thou may be found. A fruitless fig. As I go through this story, and I know that really we're just touching the surface of the unpardonable sin, and anytime you mention that topic, there's a million questions that pop in the minds of people. But the fact is, you'd say, well, you know, I, I want God. Well, the good thing is, if you want God, I believe you'll be able to find Him today. Because the thing about a person who has committed this sin, they don't want God. They just don't even care. They have, as the Bible says, they have wholly joined to their idols. They just, they don't even care about God. And sometimes you meet these folks that just don't care about anything. You wonder at what point it'll take for them to understand the judgment of God. You'd say, well, pastor, this just seems like such an ominous message. It seems like such a, a dark truth, but it's not. It's a glorious truth. It comes from the, very eye, from the very mouth of our Savior, our loving Savior. He's saying, you don't have to do this. Sometimes people say, oh, boy, that hellfire and damnation preaching, boy, that's so harsh. Wait, friends, that's harsh. It's harsh for someone to come up and say, if you don't get out of your house, you're going to burn up. You're going to burn up. You're about ready to burn up. Your house is on fire. Get out of that house. That is so harsh thing to tell people. So harsh. Friend, the best thing we can tell somebody is their house is on fire. You say, well, that's so mean. It's not mean. It's the most loving thing anybody can do. Jesus is so mean to tell these people that they're going to, they're going to, they're going to receive the judgment of God if they don't get saved. Folks, that's not unloving. That is the most loving thing that we could possibly say. I say again, if men will not understand the meaning of judgment, they will never come to understand the meaning of mercy. The judgment of God. Jesus is bringing this parable down to an individual level. Yes, Israel, right before the crucifixion, had a one last chance but for 1,000, 2,000 years, they had rejected God. Times of revival, times of going back, but then that was it. And Israel was destroyed in 70 AD. The, town, the whole nation was just gone, and really until 1948, for 2,000 years in modern history. And the coming back to Israel now, of course, is not a spiritual coming back, but it is certainly setting the stage for this time when they will be saved, as the Bible says, and they will turn to the Lord. But friend, we, we look at this here, and Jesus said, nations can be fig trees. Families can be fig trees. 
Companies can be fig trees. People can be fig trees. We can be a tree that has been treated so good by God, planted and cared for and fertilized and aerated and watered and given so many blessings. And then when we don't even acknowledge our Savior, we don't acknowledge our God, we are like a fruitless fig that the only thing good for us is to be cut down. And God said, don't imagine that's not going to happen. Well, you know, ah, that happens to others, not me, God. He said, don't ever think that it won't happen to you because we all come to a point. And if we, it's either death, a second coming, or a time when God says, I'm leaving him alone. That's it. God's mercy. Let's all bow our heads forward to prayer, if you would, please. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.